It's an amazing day, and I remember in, in sometime in the 90s, I was an invited lecturer, and it was a morning till lunch lecture, and it was on um, traumatic stress. One of the things I do is work with people who are in uh, NGOs that provide care for people in those difficult places you see on the news, and uh, the wear and tear on them. So it was a lecture on that, and the first morning went about 45 minutes to an hour, and, and, and I said to my host, I said, everyone's terribly distracted. What is happening here? I, I, I know I may not be the most engaging speaker they've heard, but what's up? He says, well, this could be the only day of summer, and it's on people's mind. So we reconvened at a pub to do the last bit, but I guess we can't do that on this one. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, just checking on your behalf, just checking to see, but I think we'll finish off in here then this morning. And nice pub lunch in the afternoon somewhere or a walk out on the green. Well, Val, my wife sends her greetings to you. We were just here three weeks ago, had a lovely time, wonderful time with uh, the vineyard pastors at Windmill Farm with the uh, Soul Spa uh, retreats, and I have the privilege of, of coming back uh, for this, this week. Uh, thank you all who have been praying for Val, who had surgery a couple weeks ago. She's really mending well. Uh, she sends her greetings and love. And uh, she also sent me with a shopping list. She somehow has managed to give away almost all the flakes and crunchies we brought back <laughs> in three and a half weeks' time. So I now have to get some more. But I brought a big suitcase. <laughs> so hopefully I'll, I'll uh, be able to m meet that supply. She just loves having tea and sharing all this with people. And so there you go. Well, uh, today I, I, I want to talk about us living our story, living our story. And as I was chatting to Andrew last, uh, on, on, his, on our drive in from the airport yesterday, uh, I said, you know, Andrew, we, I've been thinking about our time today, and last week I preached a sermon that I thought I would just use again this week, um, and, and it just wasn't right. I just said, no, I think there's another topic, something I'm supposed to speak on today. And, and so I've been putting that together uh, a little bit, hence my computer, instead of things printed out. Uh, but it's about this. What I have found in my 46 years of following Jesus is that the most powerful times that I have experienced have been uh, when I have heard someone tell their story, to tell their story. And uh, we've seen many marvelous kinds of moves of God and uh, miracles and, and, and all, and I'm thankful for all of those and really... Um, being so grateful uh, to experience God's goodness in that way. But what I think stays with me the most is someone's story, hearing their story. And so today I'd like to talk about story. And some of you are storytellers, writers, and, and you've got this figured out. Uh, but for me, and maybe a few of you in this room, you've experienced this dilemma. How do I really tell my story of faith to other people? And, and maybe, uh, maybe some of you, like me, are, are really strong introverts. Um, you don't want to disrupt or interrupt anyone. I, I fit in great on the bus when I moved here to Oxford. I was not a loud American. I was at other times, but not on the bus. I was very quiet and civilized, didn't make a big, a big noise. Um, but how, how, do I, how do I tell my story is what I've come to, to realize is the important question I've asked myself and I would ask us, how have you come to tell your story? 
And the storytelling uh, is a way to encourage people about the reality of your life and your life in God's big story. And I have uh, really, really struggled at times to speak up about what I know to be true. And so I've taken various approaches to this uh, as, a, as a Christian. Um, studied, learned different methods of sharing the gospel, have a master's in theology, went on to get a doctorate in clinical psychology with a, one of subspecialty in integrating spirituality and, and science and, and all of that, learning how to tell the story and trying to do it exactly and follow good outlines and, and work on my theology and, and all those bits. But what I found was there was still something missing for me Maybe not for you. You might be someone who uh, can take a, a lot of good information, come to find it as true, and share it um, in, in that flow in a very dynamic and natural way. I wasn't finding that for myself. So I was, uh, I was a bit, um, well, just it's been a growth process for me, one that I'm, I'm still in, really. Uh, sometimes feeling inadequate on how, how do I share this story, this good news? How do I share? And one of the things I found is that information alone does not lead to transformation. You can have a lot of good information, but it doesn't always lead to transformation. And so my story, and I'll share a bit of it with you today, and some story from, from the Gospel uh, of John, is a story of being changed. And it's a story in process. And, and so I began to... to to discover that my story of how the love of God has come to me was really the most important story I could tell, at least in the beginning with someone, to begin with, well, here's what's happened for me. Uh, the story in my own words, my own experience of God, of his loving and forgiving presence. And, and I found that as I have received uh, his loving and healing presence and and through prayer and through living in community, through reading his word and, and truly finding transformation there, that confusion, guilt, and shame have fallen away. And there's greater clarity and less anxiety now about sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, because I'm sharing it from a platform, if you will, from a place of, this is my life, this is how I've been encountered by God, and I'd like to share that with you. And, and so it's taken a lot of pressure off, if you would, on, on being able to share a gospel story or share God's story. I'm going to read to you from uh, John chapter 21, and I'm going to take the risk at reading the whole chapter, and uh, hope that you can stay with me on that. But it's John chapter 21, and here's some characters in this story. And as I tell the story, as I read the story, think about these people. And if you've heard the story before, many of you have. There's Simon called Peter, who's in this story, and Thomas, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and it says the sons of Zebedee, who would be James and John, and two other disciples who aren't named. So these are the people in the story, and then Jesus enters into this story. So listen to the story, and as you hear it, Maybe you can wonder what was happening in their story, uh, what was going on for them. This, this was one of the occurrences of the appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. 
in that 40-day period of time before his ascension. Okay, so here are some here are some followers of Jesus. They had history with Jesus, and they had already seen him before, maybe a few times before this occurrence, uh, in his resurrected body. But still, not quite sure what's on next. What do we do? Where did Jesus go? He had appear and disappear. So what were they to do with their lives? So we'll pick it up there in, in chapter 21 of John. So afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. I like that phrase. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Ever been around people that are experienced fishermen and women and they catch nothing? They're usually not happy people or pleasant uh, because they know what to do and they're out to, to do their thing and they caught nothing here out in a boat with experienced people of, who are fishermen. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Maybe they were too far away. Maybe the light wasn't strong enough. Uh, and somehow they didn't know it was him. And, and this person, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? wonder what Peter was thinking. But someone said, No, simply. And he said to them, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So, so what does this guy on the shore know anyway? But they did it. Then uh, they threw their net out. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, who's writing this gospel. He was often referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. In fact, he referred to himself that way. Um, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing this net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there was fish on it, and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, dragged this net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. One strong man, Peter. That's a big net with a lot of fish. But even so, with so many, the net was not torn. I love these little details. The net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, out fishing, doing what they know to do. Peter was a leader type. They said, well, we'll go with you. So they're out there doing this. They have this encounter with Jesus. They catch these fish. He's made breakfast for them already. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now is when this gets very personal. 
And so when Simon later would tell his story and others would tell his story, this piece entered in. Okay? And this is one of the things I've learned about telling my own story. Sometimes the story starts with something other than my best side showing forth, my best story, my most brilliant moment. Here's Peter's. Jesus is with Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you recall what had happened earlier before the crucifixion? How Simon had been brave enough to kind of come and, and, and uh, see this trial going on with Jesus, but had denied him three times. No, I don't know the man. Okay, Simon, this follower of Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Of course, the Lord who knows all things was asking him this question, but he said, do you? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now a third time he said to him, a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I've had to be asked more than once, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, and sometimes by wise people, the same question. There's a depth to answering the same question again. And of course, we can say in this case, three denials and three opportunities to affirm his love for Jesus and to receive this assignment from Jesus. I think all that's true as well. But I've had to be asked more than once, do you love me? I've had to be asked more than once certain questions. And I've found that in the life of people's journey of faith in coming to Christ, sometimes they need to be asked a question more than once as well. So may I say to us all, don't despair at asking questions, even the same one, sharing the same stories or inquiring with people. It takes sometimes many times. But anyway, here we have Peter restored. He was hurt, but Jesus asked him this third time, but he said, Lord, you know all things. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. In telling my story, one of the places where I, I often start is I tell people about my invitation from Jesus and his invitation to me to follow me. And I just tell a little bit of the story of what it's meant to follow him. I often uh, start there. I'm not starting with some theological discourse. I'm not attempting to be an apologist that I'm not. I'm being me the one who's been asked the question by Jesus, do you love me? And having said yes, 
And having followed him by his invitation, I'm just sharing what I know so far about my life and him. So Peter turned and he saw that the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And there's times I am distracted too. I'm distracted by ones whom maybe it seems Jesus loves them a little bit more. Or maybe they're a little bit more this or that or the next thing. And I might even say, well, Jesus, what about them? And he's saying, that's their story. I'm asking you about your story. I'm not here to tell you John's story. I'm here to invite you into my story. Will you come? Will you say yes? Will you follow? And because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. Only he said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Room for all the books that would be written. What's in those books? Stories. Stories of encounter of Jesus with people. And I'd like to say in this room, there's 50 books. There's a story in each one of us that we can tell. And it's your story to tell. It's not someone else's story to tell. This is about you and your yes to Jesus. This is about you and his questions to you and how you've answered them. That's what I have to share and that's what we have to share. Those are the stories that we have. And this story that we've read, like all stories, like yours and mine, has a backstory. We've engaged this story right here in John 21, but there's a lot of story behind that. The redemptive story, of which I won't get into right now. You've heard it many times, and if you haven't, have a look in this book and see where you intersect in this story. But that God has been at work in this world since creation and since the, that fall from grace, that, that place of disobedience that changed history with Adam and Eve. He's been at work to reclaim what is his. You see, it's his story. The Bible isn't about us. Well, it is, but it's about God and God's story. The Bible is God's story, and, and we fit somewhere, you and I, into that story. And that's really what we have to share with people, is his big story and that little place that we have in the story. God doesn't abandon his creation. God sets in motion what we call a redemptive story where his love comes through, and we see it in Christ, in his life, his resurrection after his crucifixion, 
we see God has not given up. His story is being lived out in us. His story of love and redemption is alive and well and real today in you and in me. And that's a story worth telling. It can become very complex uh, at times when we hear, um, when we think, well, what part of the story should I tell? And what does this person need to hear? And truly, God, the Holy Spirit can guide us. And maybe you've had that experience where you say just the right thing at just the right time. You're not quite sure why you did it, but it was the right thing. It was God. And, and you entered into someone's story, maybe as you told theirs and as you listened to theirs. God can guide us of, of, of where, that, where that starts. But I have three thoughts to share with you in the next couple minutes as we conclude. And that's these three things. I want to encourage us, encourage you, own your story. Jesus said to Peter, what's it to you about John's story? This is your story I'm talking to you about. So own your story. How do we do that? And then acknowledge the story of others. Learn how to acknowledge the story of others and then do life together. Owning my own story, acknowledging the story of others, and then with other followers of Jesus, do life together. These three things I've come to find are the, are the ways in which this invitation from God gets a chance to be said through me and maybe through you. Owning your story. A lot's been said about it. Uh, in pop psychology and in other ways, you know, what is your story? You know, come to own, own your own story. Well, for me, that owning of the story, my story, has meant uh, paying attention to some of the good, but also some of the brokenness in my story, some of the challenge that I've brought into my, uh, my adult life, my time of, of really encountering the love of God as an 18-year-old and ongoingly since. In my story, there are mistakes. In the story we read in Scripture, there are a lot of mistakes. Could you imagine being one of the disciples? I used to think that was a great thing, and I still think it would be, because, well, I am now. We are disciples. But to have your mistakes written and be read by the most popular book that's ever been written with millions of copies out there to tell your bad news, well, there you are. Disciples made their, mis their mistakes were made known. Peter denied Christ. Many of the disciples ran away when he was arrested. James and John were asking for positions of power uh, to sit on the right and left-hand side of Jesus. And, and uh, that blew up in their face. Um, Peter being deceptive. Here, a disciple of, of, of Christ, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came, he wouldn't eat with them. His story was told out there. But his story was also one of redemption because Jesus had said, I believe you, I believe you. Yes, I know you love me. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Owning the good and the bad in our story is very important. What I've come to know as a specialist helping people recover from trauma is that those who are able to acknowledge the pain of their story, their loss, and to grieve, have a more strong and robust recovery than those who just jump to the good right away. Well, 
I just learned that, you know, this tragic thing has happened, but what I got out of it is life is good, and I'm, I'm glad to be alive, and, well, that is good. But what I've found is that, and in and, and research we've seen, that for those who can tell the painful part of the story and the good part and move towards gratitude, have a stronger recovery. So I've learned in my own story to, to do that, to sometimes start in telling it with some of the pain, but also move to the gratitude, to own the good and the bad, acknowledge the pain and loss, and develop gratitude. Acknowledging the story of others is another thing I have discovered, maybe you have as well, that gives us an, an opportunity, if you will, pr the privilege of hearing a story and telling our story. We know this, that our brains, our human brains, respond to people who are glad to be with us. It's the thing you see with infants. The glad-to-be-with-you look and presence is life-giving and inspiring to infants. And it's inspiring to us as adults as well. The glad-to-be-with-you, the response in the very brain I'm talking about, not just the mind and the spirit, but the brain responds to people who are glad to be with us. So when we acknowledge the story of others and we truly are glad to be with them, something begins to happen in that person that's life-giving. And acknowledging the story, asking them their story, allowing them to share maybe some of the pain, some of the good, is an, a way to honor their lives and a way to, as we listen to them, we can remember this, and we can have faith for them, even if they don't know this yet, that they're actually part of God's big story. <laughs> they are, and they may not even know it in the moment. But if we listen with respect to their story, they will know that. They will know that. And that doing life together is another way of sharing story that's been so important to me. So as we pursue God's big story together, we could read in the book of Acts and see what that looks like, looked like in their times. You know, as we recover from our own personal or even corporate failures in community, in a loving community that serves God and is loved by God, that can pray for one another, share with one another truth, as we do life together, we get to tell our story too. God's big story alive in us, in our community. And I really would like for you, if you haven't read this book, even if, if you've been a believer for a long time, to take a look at it. Because this book and the Alpha Course is a wonderful way to tell story. Get together, have a meal, hear people's stories, have a chance to share yours. In that context, God's big story comes through. And I have found that, for me, very helpful to be with others in community, living out our stories together, having heard the good and the bad, and then inviting people into that community. And I think you have a wonderful chance to do that uh, in, in this coming uh, term. When did that start, Andrew? September, is it? September. To actually invite people to come hear God's bigger story, told in little stories, including your life and your life story. Jesus, before his... Uh, ascension said this. He said, all authority on, uh, has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And I'm asking you, I'm telling you, he says, go therefore, 
make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the fact that he is with you right now and with me right now and with us to the end of the age is the empowering part of our story, really. He is with us. He is with you. And as we live our story in community, as we hear our story from Jesus, as we share it with others, and as we hear their stories, we know this. Jesus is present with us. And his joy is to share his story through us. And our joy is to be able to share our story of having been loved by him, loved by community. Maybe you've experienced that even from someone in this room. And that's what we have to share. It doesn't have to be complex. I'm not in any way dissuading us from good learning and good knowledge. Not what, I'm not saying that whatsoever. But the story we have to share, your story, who you are, how you've said yes to God, his questions of you, all of that matters. And as we think of it this way, sharing isn't so hard after all. If, because it's our story and our ali that aliveness, that story we have with God. That's what we have to share. And I would encourage you to consider um, coming on to uh, see the venue tonight or come to that dinner. We're, we're gonna do, it's going to happen at the venue, right? Is that right, Mandy? Um, so that you'll get familiar with it. To invite people to come and hear the story. It's that easy. It's that easy. It's that easy to do. And the Lord is with us and will be with you and with all those that come and hear the story. So, Andrew, that's some of what I had to, to share today about the story, my story, and sharing the story together. And what a joy I've had to share that story with you and, and Mandy and what we used to call the Cherwell Vineyard and now call the Oxford Vineyard all these years since the mid-90s. What a joy to be part of the story with you. Yeah. Well, we have a few moments where we can uh, invite people for prayer, whatever, however you'd like to do that. Yeah. And let me pray for you as we conclude, and then any uh, other prayers we can pray with you, we will. Jesus, I thank you so much for each person in this room. I thank you, God, for how holy their story is and how their story, mine included, is part of your big story. I, Lord, I bless each one to know your love and I bless each one to be able to answer the questions you're asking of them, Lord, for you ask good questions. Help us all, Lord, to respond to you, the questions you ask, the things that you're even stirring up in us right now. Help us to say yes. Help us take our place and live our place of your story and our lives together in this community. We bless you in Jesus' name.